Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, I have preached from this text before. It's been a little bit ago. And it's just been on my mind and heart here some lately. And I feel like God led me back here uh, the last few days. So this is where we'll be this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Thankful for each one this morning. Thankful for God's presence. Amen. And uh, in case you haven't noticed yet, uh, I have on a different collar, pants, and suit jacket. It was not intentional. Have any of you eagle-eyed people figured that out yet? <laughs> well, uh, you can notice that I have on a blue jacket and black pants. The blue jacket was supposed to be sent to the dry cleaners this week. I think it's even got a few wrinkles in it for that reason uh, because they're really good at cleaning them and making them pressed and nice and look brand new. And I was going to go have some little bit of stitching redone on it. And uh, I grabbed it by mistake. So any of you uh, fashion designers out there this morning may take notice of my jacket not matching my pants and maybe a wrinkle or two, please look over. So um, now everybody will be staring at that the whole time instead of preaching. John's taking pictures and everything else. Now instead of you listening to me preaching, you'll be thinking, look at his jacket. That's All right, Second Corinthians chapter 10, is everybody there? Um, let's read a few verses here then and um, I don't know. I know this is for sure what God wants me to preach. I had a different thought kind of there for a minute, but he, he confirmed to me this is what he wants. I just don't know exactly yet what direction I'm going to go with it. Verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but absent and bold toward you, I beseech you that I may not be bold where, when I am present with you that confidence whereof I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Verse 7, Do we look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again that as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together, for this day that you have blessed us with, for this day that you have presented us with. And God, we want to always be willing to humble ourselves before you and to thank you and praise you for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do every day. Lord, you've never failed us. God, not one time have you ever let me down. Or Lord, let me out on my own and say, just do the best you can. But God, ever since I come to your family, to the saving knowledge of grace of Jesus Christ, God, you have protected me and held me and guided me. 
And Lord, you've forgiven me. And God, I thank you for so many things you've done that God, we could sit here named till dark and still not get them all done. Father, I pray this morning. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to preach through me. I'm asking for your touch this morning, God, not for me, but for these people and for anyone that may be watching, God, I pray. Lord, you help us all, God, to draw a little closer to you and get some of the mental blocks out of our way. And we thank you and we praise you. In Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, let me say just a few things here in getting started. I want to make sure we always keep Scripture in context. And in doing so, sometimes I, I want to and need to explain to you exactly what's going on. Now, this passage of Corinthians, Paul is kind of turning his attention a little bit here. His subject is changing some. And one of the things that he is expressing back to them is it had been told that once Paul left, he stuck his chest out and wrote these mean, hard letters, but when he was with them, he was just a little old weakling. That's basically what this is, what they're accusing him of, and that's what Paul's addressing here. Now, from what I can understand and what I've studied and read, I don't know this for sure. Uh, I've never met the man, uh, but supposedly Paul was not a handsome fellow. Uh, from what I've read, uh, supposedly he was maybe bow-legged. Uh, I'm a little bit like that because I'm tall and skinny, and that's just how God made me. But um, he uh, wasn't a very big fella. He had a, supposedly a long, crook nose. I don't know any of that's true or not. But the bottom line is, is they were accusing him of being bold and brave when he wasn't have, didn't have to face them face to face. In other words, like, Paul, you talk big when you're not around us. When you come in front of us, you're just a wimp. What Paul was saying, you know what? He goes on to tell him this in the scripture I, I was reading. It goes on to tell us this. He said, if I need to come there and be big and bad in front of you, trust me, I can and will do it. And he said, if I need to line you out face to face, I can and will do it. And what he was telling them is, is you're thinking fleshly. I'm trying to get you to think spiritually. He said, you're talking to me as though uh, I just live in the flesh. And what he was saying is, you're accusing me of not being godly, of being a coward for God when I'm in front of you and being a bold for God when I'm away from you. He said, it's not that way. And that's not what the situation is. And a lot of times in life, you and I will allow ourselves to live certain attitudes, certain thoughts, certain ways. And yes, we live in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. So the flesh is not what we should use for spiritual battle. If you do, you will lose every single time. Let me explain to you more what I mean by this. Uh, our minds, uh, our thoughts is part of who we are. It's our core. Now, once something enters our mind and it's, it, it, it jingles around in there a little while, uh, sometimes it will go down into the person that we are. The things from the heart of man is going to come out somewhere, some way, somehow. What you really feel, think, and how you live is going to come out. Good and bad. I'm going to use someone's own testimony from a minute ago. I'm not trying to belittle him. He just gave me an opportunity to use him for an illustration. Congratulations, Wayne. By his own admittance, he said, I struggle with road rage. 
I can do that at times. I've gotten a lot better through the years. My wife has told me that I think everybody should drive like me. I do. That'd be no wrecks. Everybody would, yeah, see? Everybody would not make, there'd be no driving mistakes. Everybody would make it where they're supposed to go at the time. I mean, all things would be perfect if everybody drove like Craig and Wayne. But the problem with that is, that's not true. As much as we might want to think we're right, we're not. And when we live in the flesh, the things that comes out of our heart come sometimes at inopportune times. But it's going to come out. If you struggle with something, somewhere, someway, somehow, it's coming forward. And our minds is where most of the battles take place. That's where they're won and lost between Satan and our flesh and God, our new life, our new spirit. That's where they're won and lost. It's not a new or big thing to say that. I mean, it's not a, uh, certainly something that's earth-shattering. Now, we've had some good revivals here, I feel like. We've, I believe we've had some people get help. Well, we see people get help, and we're getting ready to have another one here in a couple weeks. And I'm a little bit concerned that some of us are not mentally or spiritually even remotely ready for that revival. I see some of you who seem to just be kind of lackadaisical. You're just floating through. One of the reasons I think God led me to have a revival in the winter is because most of the time our mood is down because we're stuck inside. We're not getting much sun, much vitamin D. And so I think it helps. It certainly does me. I had people look at me when I first scheduled it. They say, in the winter? I said, yeah. Said, what if it snows? Well, I guess it snows. I don't know. We'll deal with it. But, um, but there's so many things in our minds that gets lost behind the closed door of a stronghold. Now I'm sure some of you, along with me, has had some mental and emotional battles this week. For me, I'll confess to you, it's been a long week in a lot of ways. It has. Um, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> now, stay with me just for a few minutes. I'm probably just going to get to the introduction, and that's probably as far as I'm going to get for different reasons. If I make it to the points, they'll be quick. The time's getting late, and so I want, to, I want you to get out here a decent time. But it's estimated that an adult brain carries on about 1,000 trillion logical operations per second. Let me read that again. It is estimated that an adult brain carries on about 1,000 trillion logical operations per second. So that means what you don't realize is your brain is firing so many functions at one time that you can't even fathom what's going on. Do you realize that almost everything you see, read, and hear, you never forget? It may be stored away somewhere there where it doesn't come back up, but your brain has the capacity to remember everything you have ever seen and heard. There's not a computer ever been invented yet that can touch what the human brain is. And we, yet, so much of the time, you and I, in our subconscious, start, start, thoughts start coming up and welling up inside of us, and the next thing you know, it's no longer subconscious, but it's at the forefront of your mind and controlling what you're thinking and doing and feeling at that moment. And it has you sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. We learn certain character traits, a muscle memory, where some things just come second nature. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. 
Uh, I don't hardly play it anymore. It's, it's just for numerous reasons. Money and time is at the top. But I still got a set of golf clubs. I used to play golf some. I liked it, Pastor Paul. But uh, when you learn to swing that club, there are certain muscle memories that guys will swing a club and it's just second nature because they have trained their muscles so much to follow through on that thing. One day, uh, Drew was going to wear a tie to church. And Amber said, you need to tie his tie. I said, okay. Well, I stood behind him and I went to tie that tie and I got it so messed up and mixed up. And I said, well, let me take mine off and redo mine or something. Well, I took mine off and I, and I couldn't even tie my own tie. I'm not making this up. I mean, I stood in front of the mirror and I, mean, I was like, what do I do? This, is only, this has been within the last year. This ain't a long time ago. I actually had to take that tie and hang it up and get one kind of zipper tie that just goes around my neck and you pull it like that and it zips up because I completely, my mind was blown on how to tie a tie. And the reason being is I stood in front of that mirror or even without a mirror so much the last few years, my memory just knows what to do without thinking. When I had to think about it, I blew up. I couldn't do it. Thank God God reminded me how. But I got nervous when I first got back in front of the mirror because I thought, can I tie my tie? I thought I was going to go watch a video, YouTube or something to remember how to... But there's muscle memory in our minds. Some things are just second nature. You know what else becomes second nature in our minds sometimes? Our reactions to things. Our emotions to things. You and I sometimes just wake up and we're depressed, we're stressed, we're anxious, and there's no reason in the world why we should be that way. Where do you think that's coming from? It's a, it's a stronghold that Satan has set up in your mind and my mind, and it's a place where he lives, and it's a place we give him place to live, and we feed that thing, and we try to battle it out by reasoning. It won't work. You can't reason something out. Let me explain, give you another illustration real quick and I'll get back to preaching. Most of you, I realize some of you has probably never shot a gun. But we're going to pretend you've shot them before. Now, I'll make it easier with a couple different ways. Could you imagine taking a bullet and sliding it down in some kind of holder where there's no barrel? Just a bullet. And you fire that bullet do you understand? It's going to be erratic and go every which way. Same as driving a car. You take the steering wheel off a car and just give it gas and go, how far do you think you're going to make it? It has to be driven by the proper functions, the proper techniques. It has to be uh, turned a certain way by the operator. You and I as the operators know which direction that car needs to go by the lines on the road and they've been laid out. You've got to follow the path of the road. You can't just take off driving through here the way the crow flies. You won't make it very far. So in life, when it comes to muscle memory and things of our mind, you and I has made ourselves so accustomed to certain thoughts and emotions and everything that we think things through rather than using scripture and the power of God to battle strongholds that Satan sets up in your mind. There is a defeat that you have felt defeated for years and you still do. And maybe it's a new battle. Maybe it's a new struggle. And Satan has that stronghold and he knows what it is and how to push the buttons to make it work. 
Some of you have emotionally troubles with people in your life. That's a stronghold. Do you realize the Bible makes zero excuse for you to have unforgiveness towards someone? If there's someone in your life that you don't speak to, friend, you're as wrong as they are. Write her down. The Bible does not let you off the hook in no way, shape, or form. I don't care what they've done to you. You're guilty. You want me to quote you the scriptures? I'll gladly do it. It says, if you can't love your brother whom you've seen, how can you love God whom you've not seen? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I got to look at somebody. And you was the lucky one. All right, I hope I'm not just rambling. I hope I'm making sense. But, you know, we learn, as I said, to react a certain way to certain circumstances based on our past and learned behavior. Wayne has learned, and I'm just using you for example, to have road rage because people don't drive like he thinks they should. I've done the same thing at times. Is that godly? No, it sure isn't. Is it an excuse? No, it sure isn't. Am I off the hook because uh, my grandfather was, could be loving at one time and despisable the next? It's like he always sat around waiting on people to mess up so he could get mad at them. And I, and, and, and I struggle with some of those thoughts, some of those traits. But just because I inherited something like that does not make it an excuse. And that does it make it acceptable, nor does it make it okay. You see, there are strongholds Satan has set up in our life and the power of God through the salvation of Jesus is supposed to have delivered us from all those things, but you and I hold on to them and we claim, well, I can't help it. That's just how I am. My Bible doesn't read that way. My Bible says I've been delivered from all that. So if, if that's the case, where's the problem? Satan knows you better than you know yourself. He's learned your behavior. He's learned your thoughts. He's learned your ways. He's learned your attributes, your good, good things, the bad things. He knows what pushes your buttons and who pushes them. Probably not going to get much past the introduction. It's okay. Now, as I've already said, there's a problem that arises here. But once you're saved, it's no longer just mental and even though it really wasn't before you were saved, but really it becomes a spiritual battle in our minds once you are saved. Let me, let me say one more thing here, and I'm, I'm going to be done just in a few minutes. We have in our lives learned traits from our parents, from people in our life, from the way friends treated you, from the way uh, your schoolmates treat you, your family, whoever it may be. People in your life has helped shape and mold you into who you are and how you are, good or bad. All the above. And all through that time, who do you think has been sitting there watching all this play out? Your enemy, Satan. Do you also understand that he hates you so bad that he wants your life to be as miserable as he can make it? I read where people got involved in the occult, 
and Satanism, witchcraft, whatever it may be, some kind of new age stuff, and they realize the deeper they got in it, the darker it got. People that got saved has come out and confessed how awful it is. And they said, it, it's terror, it's so scary. They said, some nights it would be miserable beyond words, and yet the only thing they knew to do was keep driving deeper because they thought that would help them. Said it did the opposite. So Satan knows what works in your life to work against you. He's watched you, he's watched me for 50 years. I'm not going to ask how many years he's been watching you. <laughs> you don't ask gray-haired old ladies what, what how, how many years he's been watching. I mean, how many years you've been alive? He's been watching you. I hope this is making sense. I don't know if, I hope it's not just a complete shotgun message where it's just scattered all over the place. I'm trying to bring it together here. There's so much going through my mind. And he watches and he knows what triggers negative thoughts, emotions, reactions, depression, oppression, aggravation, short temper. He knows what makes all of that happen. And he knows how to make it happen. And so he sets up a stronghold. Some of you may not have realized it, but West Virginia had one of the greatest World War II heroes from that war living in West Virginia. Grew born and raised in West Virginia. His name was Woody Williams. He passed away here this past year. You may not know the story behind what he did. On an island, they were pinned down. The Japanese had what's called uh, bunkers, peel bunkers set up on top of this hill. And they were firing down on top of the Marines and just wearing them out. They had them pinned down. He took a flamethrower, somehow worked his way around and got in front of every one of those peel boxes and set them on fire. And almost single-handedly delivered that whole unit from certain destruction. He had to overcome a lot of fears to do that. And he overcome obstacles and odds. You see, they had a stronghold set up to where they, they considered we were their enemy where we could not advance. Satan has got strongholds in your mind. And you've got to use the right tools and the right methods to overcome these things and defeat them. And what Paul was saying is, I may walk in the flesh, but I don't use fleshly things to defeat spiritual things. You can't do it. You're beat if you do. The Bible is full of this. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read about the armor of God. We talk about it. We say it takes faith to put it on. I told you to call out each piece and put each piece on, stating what it means, what it does, what it stands for. And the whole time you're doing it, your mind is saying this is silly. Where do you think that's coming from? It's not coming from God. He's saying this is silly, what you're doing. This won't work. And all the while, he's trying to defeat your faith and keep you in bondage and keep that stronghold that he's got in your mind. What sin is it that you can't get past or get over? That's a stronghold. What is it that's keeping you from taking a step closer to God? That's a stronghold. And he's got that and he's keeping you pinned down by the ways of this world and keeping you trying to think logically to defeat it. Not spiritually. This is not one of the more scriptural 
quoting messages I preached lately, but it's just the way God led me. And I'm not even, I said I won't get past the introduction. I'm not. It's okay. I don't know about you, but I am so tired of Satan keeping me bound down in certain emotions and thoughts that rule and wreck my world. Most of what we fear never happens. Never takes place. I've said things and I think, what if they took it wrong? What if it gets back to this person or that person? I said this or that. Or I've done something or what if they find out, oh dear God, and I've lost sleep and come to find out they wasn't really a word of it even remotely as big or as bad as what I made it up in my mind. I struggle sometimes with unforgiveness with people. You say, oh, but you're the pastor. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. I'm still human. This isn't my message, but it's three points I want to give you and, I, and I'm going to be done. I kind of an introduction outline and this is part of it. One, you need to, rec- one, you need to recognize where these thoughts are coming from. Are they coming from God or are they coming from you? If they're coming from you, then they're coming from the flesh, which is still the same as Satan in a sense. You understand your flesh is your enemy. My thoughts, my natural thoughts, my natural heart is my enemy. It's not my friend, it's my foe. Hey, I don't feel like, I slept this morning until nine o'clock. My son come and got me out of bed. At 10 after 9, he said, Daddy, it's getting late. I said, yes, son, I gotta get going. That's not the whole reason why we were late getting here. But the reason I'm telling you this is Sunday morning sometimes there's a stronghold in my mind of wanting to just rest. There's sometimes throughout the week there's a stronghold in my mind of not wanting to study and pray like I need to. I got to recognize where that's coming from. There's people that's in my life that I struggle to forgive and I face them and I want revenge, but my heart says, my spiritual heart says, no, you forgive them no matter how they've wronged you, no matter what they've done, because look what you've done to Jesus. And he hasn't held a thing against me. How do I have the right to hold anything against anybody? I don't. What if he turned it around and said, I'm going to forgive you on the same level you forgive them? By the way, the Bible does say that. (laughs) Not for your salvation, but for your walk. That matters. If you want peace with God and you want assurance from him, then you better start forgiving people that's wronged you like you've wronged God. Until you do that, guess what? That's a stronghold. And Satan will hold on to that with everything he can because he knows it works to defeat your walk with God. He will give you a thousand reasons why you shouldn't forgive someone. And you know what? Some of them's true. But that doesn't make it okay. The only time he tells the truth is to set up a liar for his advantaging somehow. He don't care a bit to tell you a bold-faced lie knowing it's a lie. It doesn't bother him. I'm almost done. Recognize where it comes from. I'm going to be quick with my introduction points and I'm finished. Resist it. Resist the emotions. Resist the thoughts. You know what the Bible says? 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You've got to reject the thoughts that he's bringing to you. You've got to reject the emotions that are just uh, un, uh, somehow uh, unnatural, uh, unexplainable that you're going through. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed, so to speak. Uh, uh, someone uh, you think someone said or done something to you and you find out it's not true and vice versa you got to reject those thoughts you got to push them out and replace it with scripture hey if you got to quote the same one over and over and over till it works keep quoting it and lastly you got to rejoice you know our tongue can be used as carnal or spiritual in James it says that we our tongues are sewers and fresh water. He said, friends, a fountain can't give both. It's time we tell Satan to take his basket of surprises and move on. Get out of your life. Let me ask you this. This morning in the Sunday school class, we were talking about how the law came alive. We realized sin came alive in life. And there's different subjects we were talking about that. And Romans 8.28 was discussed. Let's see if we can get it. For on the spot it's tough sometimes, ain't it? For we know that all things work together for the good of them who are the called according to his purpose. Whose purpose? Not mine. Not mine. When's the last time you've rejoiced over someone wronging you? John and Peter sure did. They had their bikes beat. Blood pouring down their legs. Running off their bodies for preaching Jesus. And they rejoiced over that. You got to recognize where it comes from. You got to resist it. You got to reject it. And you got to rejoice for the victory that God has given you and I. You see, I read something the other day that I liked. Martin Luther, and, and he was he was the reformers. I know he had the thesis, but we don't believe exactly like he did. But that's side the point. He was still believed in the grace of God, so that makes him a brother in Christ. But he told someone, he prayed out loud, he said, for two reasons. He said, it keeps my mind from wondering. He said, Satan's a defeated foe, and I don't want him to forget it. He's already defeated, church. We are the ones that give him the victory. He is defeated, and sometimes you need to tell him that. If it means you've got to pray out loud to remind himself and you of that, then do it. Let me ask you, those thoughts of depression, fear, worry, all those things, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, envy, strife, aggravation, whatever it may be, revenge. Where do you think those are coming from? It's not God. 
Bible doesn't contain those things. Oh, it does in the flesh. And it's always in the wrong. Sometimes God will check me. Say, is that how a Christian and a preacher and a pastor should act and think? No, Lord, it's not. Sometimes he's even asked me, do you think that makes me proud the way you're acting right now? No, Lord, it probably doesn't. So who is it in your life that's got a stronghold in your mind? Who is it that keeps you from having joy and peace with God? Let me say this. Until you get it fixed, you're not going to have joy and peace with God. You can reject that all day long if you want to, but that's Bible, friend. That's God. If you have forgiven others, God will forgive you. Why I'm on this so much right now, I don't know. It's got nothing to do with any one particular conversation I've had with anybody, but God just keeps pounding me right now with forgiveness. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest defeats to a church and revival is unforgiveness. I'm not talking about from God. I'm not about from you and I. Do you all want, do you all, I've asked you this, I've posed this challenge a few times lately. Do you want to really see what God is and what He can do to a church? Then every one of us is about to get unforgiveness and pride out of our life. Until God becomes Lord, it's not going to happen. So who is it this morning that's going through your mind right now that you're sitting there gritting your teeth saying, I wish He'd shut up about forgiveness? You ain't got to worry about me. Shut up about a friend. It's Holy Spirit. By the way, he'll go home with you. Yeah, he'll go to bed with you. And he'll wake you up. And he'll keep you up sometimes. And unforgiveness will make your life miserable. I've watched people's lives destroyed because of unforgiveness. Be absolutely miserable. And refuse to let it go because, bless God, aren't you just special? What makes you any different than anybody else? What if God looked at us and said something like that to us? How would that feel? You've wronged me. You don't get forgiveness because of that. You know what He has the right to do? That very thing. You know what's amazing to me, John? He's never done me that way. He's told me I need to forgive people if I want to have peace with him. He said, I'll forgive you of your sins, but until you forgive, we're not going to be on good terms. Now, I'm willing to guess, I used to say bet, and I've tried to learn how to quit saying that because it really doesn't sound good, especially while you're preaching. I'm willing to guess every person in this room right now has somebody going through your mind. Are you willing to come up to this altar right here in front of God and everybody and admit it and say, God, I struggle with unforgiveness with this person, with this thing, with this part of my life. Now, here's the acid test. Do you want God's power in your life? Do you want revival in this church? Do you want to see what God's willing to do? 
It's up to you. I'm, not, I'm going to kneel down and I'm going to pray because I need as much as anybody. I'm not going to look who comes and who doesn't. But there's some people in this building right now that struggle with this or God wouldn't have led me to preach. This is nowhere near what I was going to preach. Yeah, the, the message on the mind was, but not the way I preached it. Not even when I started out, I wasn't thinking this way. Some buddies, probably all buddies, needs to do some praying right now. We got revival in two weeks. Do you care? I don't want to guilt you. I don't want to shame you. That won't help. Won't do a thing. You got to be sincere with God. You got to say, yes, God, you were talking to me. Not me. God was talking to you this morning. Go ahead and shut that thing off. If you got unforgiveness in your heart, if you're watching, you need to do something with it. And that's give it to God and confess it. And I'm talking to every person in this room right now. Has God spoken to you? Go ahead. Tell you what we're going to do.